us, we, uh, we sent out about, um, I don't know, 20 to 30 people and, uh, and a pastor named Josh Seal who had, been, um, who had been with us for a long time, really almost since the beginning, that we helped um, him grow up into a wonderful pastor, sent him and a team out, and they went to Slidell, uh, planted Steadfast Community Church, and uh, that church is now almost a year old, and I, th- and I think there's you know, s- somewhere m- around 75 to 100 people there, um, and God's just really blessing them. And, uh, and so if you get a chance, if you know Josh, maybe send him a text, uh, send him a message on Facebook, encourage him, send him an email, um, and, uh, and we'd love for you to uh, just encourage him in the work that the Lord is doing there. And so that's a celebration. Um, that God is, is using a church over in Slidell who's teaching the word and is faithful um, to be reaching people for the gospel of, of Christ. So here we are in Luke chapter 23, and let's start by reading, as we always do, Luke chapter 23, verses 13 through 25, okay? If you don't have a Bible, grab one. You're going to need it. I want you to see the text for yourself and understand um, what God says and then what he means by what he says. So let's read it together. Luke chapter 23, verse 13. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city, and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving of death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified. And their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Well, after this text, We're on a one-way journey to the cross. We've been on one, but he's going to be led away and and we're going to end up with his death. But this is one last aspect of the trial narratives. And let me tell you what we're seeing in this passage. What's the main point here? What's the authorial intent? What's the doctrine or the scriptural teaching of this section? Well, it's pretty clear. It's pretty straightforward. Luke is making clear, really, for the final time, Christ's innocence. He's firmly establishing Christ's innocence, and he has established his innocence. But even though he's innocent, he will be condemned as a guilty criminal. 
Not because he's guilty, but because this death will come at the hands of and the demand of sinners. Now, this is vitally important. You might say, well, yeah, we we understand that Christ is innocent. We've been talking about that for a while. Well, there's a reason that Luke has established this for six six points um, in these trial narratives, at, at six different points within these trial narratives. This doctrine, and we've talked about it, the innocence of Christ is vitally important that he would be able to die as a substitute for us. Only one who is innocent can satisfy God's wrath, suffer at his hand in place of sinners. Sinners can avoid God's judgment through the death of an innocent sacrifice. Christ will be that sacrifice. He will be a substitute for sinners. It is vitally important that Luke establishes Christ's innocence within this narrative, and he has done so and, will con- and continues to do so here. And so we understand that Christ is innocent. Christ will not die because he's guilty, but because... Sinners desire him to die. Yet at the same time, we understand that God's hand is behind this. What evil men and Satan meant for evil, God meant for what? Good, that he would save those who trust in him, who repent of their sins forever. And so this is an incredible text here. Now, What's happening within this is that from the earthly perspective here, we have an innocent man who is who is innocent of any civil crime. And yet he's being condemned as a guilty man. That's earthly perspective. That's what that's what we would understand from a simple earthly perspective. Yet from a heavenly perspective, we have a man here who is innocent of all sin before God. And he's being condemned as one who is guilty before God. And that's exactly the remedy, what we need. That's exactly the ingredients for substitutionary atonement. One who is innocent of sin before God and yet condemned as guilty before God suffers in the sinner's place to atone for sin. And so this is what we're seeing here. Now, Luke has established this within six stages of these trials. You have to understand, we've seen three uh, religious uh, Jewish trials And we've seen three now. We're seeing the third aspect here of of these civil trials before the Gentile rulers. And so I've entitled this message, The Trial Continues, The Final Verdict. The Final Verdict. This is the last point. And this is pretty straightforward. But let me tell you now what's so important. In addition to Christ's innocence and the doctrine that's established here, it's also very important that we understand this biblical anthropology It's not only being shown here that Christ is innocent, but what's also being shown here is the hearts of sinful men, the depravity of man, what the Bible describes about men. Now, listen here. This is important. You got to understand that what's being accomplished here is that these men are killing the son of God, not because he isn't true but because he's not what they want him to be. He's a threat to their lives. He's a threat to their pride. He's a threat to their positions. He's a threat to their power. He's a threat to their pleasures. And so, you know, this is very applicable. This is very relevant to our lives. And there's many people who deny Christ, either explicitly deny his salvation or 
very practically deny him on a regular basis, call themselves Christians, do exactly the opposite of what he says to do. And it's not because Christ isn't true. It's because he's not exactly what they want him to be. They want a savior who allows this or give him freedom to do this or who will give him permission to do that or who will let them just live for themselves or live them, live however they want. And um, there's biblical warrant to say that those people should be really careful about whether or not they're truly born again. But what I'm saying here is that the, the very reason for the denial of Christ oftentimes is not because that person has decided that Christ isn't true, although they are, they are saying that, but it's because Christ's not exactly what they want. And we need to be careful about that because we need to play by his rules. We submit to him because he is true. He's the son of God. He created and he rules. And so these sinners here are unafraid of the consequences of what it means to reject Christ. And they're not rejecting him because he's not true, but exactly because he's not what they want. And so this is very straightforward. And I want us to see here the, uh, really the, the change in the narrative. And I'll point it out by giving you the headings for today. Let me, let me show you this. Well, the first thing that we're going to see, we're going to see three points today that help us to see Christ's innocence and the, the guilt of these sinners. But number one, what we see is Pilate's initial verdict in verses 13 through 17. We're going to see Pilate's initial verdict. Okay. And what's the initial verdict? Innocence. He's innocent. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that Pilate's a believer in Christ. We, we see clearly that he's not. Just because he's able to pronounce this verdict doesn't mean that he's um, born again. But Pilate's initial verdict, verses 13 through 17. Secondly, then, we'll see the Jews' incessant voice. We'll see their incessant voice, verses 18 through 23. They just keep crying out as one. And then here, here's where things change, right? Number three, then, we see Pilate's influenced verdict, verses 24 through 25. And so Pilate pronounces one verdict, then they all cry out, and then Pilate pronounces a different verdict. And what's, the, what, what, what's clear here? What's clear is that, is that the reason for Jesus' um, guilty verdict, the verdict against Christ, is not because he is guilty, it's because They've just cried out long enough and loud enough. And so we see this injustice. We, we see this intimidation. We see this, really, this irresponsibility of Pilate. We, we see, we, we identify the clear reason for Christ's death. It's not justice. He's innocent. He's perfectly innocent. And he'll be punished because of this, the desire of, of men to be autonomous and independent. But of course, this is what God has predestined to take place. So let's begin now. Let's begin with Pilate's initial verdict here. Pilate's initial verdict, verse 13, verses 13 through 17, okay? <coughs> Pilate's initial verdict. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of, of any of your charges against him. In other words, what? He's innocent. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore 
punish him. You might be wondering, where's verse 17 here? If you've noticed that, then good, you're looking at the text, and I'll explain that in a little while, but if you look down at the bottom of your page, you'll probably see a little 17 down there, and uh, it says this, now he was obliged to release one man to them at the festival. And so we see here in these verses, Pilate's initial verdict, Pilate's initial verdict, okay? And I, and I want you to really stay glued to the text because I want you to just learn from what the scripture is saying. Verses 13 through 17, okay? So here's where we start, verse 13, okay? It's about 6 a.m. It's about six in the morning at this point, okay? And uh, six in the morning on, on, uh, on Friday, and uh, Jesus, this is the day that Jesus will die. Um, John 19, 14 says of this very moment that we're reading right now, it says, now it was the day of preparation of the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour, so it's about 6 a.m. right now at this time. John tells us that just very plainly and, clear, and, and clearly. John 19, 14 says it of this exact moment. So it's 6 a.m. John tells us that. Jesus had come out of the upper room, if you remember, around midnight. He would travel to the private garden of the Mount of Olives, just east of Jerusalem. And he would desperately depend upon his father in prayer in that garden. He'd be arrested by the Jewish leadership sometime in that garden around 2 a.m. Okay, so about 2 a.m. he's arrested. And he would face two trials before then facing a third trial before the Sanhedrin. And we know that the Sanhedrin trial started when? At day, daybreak. When the sun came up, that's when the Sanhedrin trial would start. So we got an arrest around 2 a.m. in the garden. We got the Sanhedrin trial, which is the third Jewish trial at daybreak. And so everything between 2 and, and 5 we see with Annas and Caiaphas. And, and so about 5 a.m. he's with the Sanhedrin. He's brought then before Pilate. This is all happening very fast. A first time, then he's brought to Herod. And now before arriving for his sixth proceeding, which is his second appearance before Pilate, and this is coming around 6 a.m. And so this is all happening very fast. This is all happening extremely fast, and it's obvious due to this process that the, the, the due process of law has been ignored. It's, this is not being treated um, with the careful uh, precision that it needs to be treated. And so Pilate now is receiving Jesus back from Herod, and Pilate knows that the, the Jews' reasoning for wanting Jesus dead is that they were envious of him. So look, uh, I won't let you have you turn there, but Matthew 27, 18 says, Pilate knew that it was out of envy that the Jews had delivered him up. So Pilate's aware that the Jews are delivering Christ up, not because he's committed any sin, but it's out of envy. It's out of envy. They don't, uh, they're envious of his, of his following. They don't want Jesus to uh, usurp their position or their power or their plans or their pleasure. And so Pilate and Herod have found no evidence to verify the Jews' claims that he's misleading the nation, leading an insurrection against Rome. And now at this point here, where we sit in verse 13, is that Pilate plans to make an announcement Okay? He plans to make an announcement. How do we know that? Well, let's read it. Verse 13, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people. 
He's calling them together because he's preparing to make a public announcement. That's what's happening at this point. Pilate here is preparing to make a public announcement. Every level of Jewish leadership is here, as we've seen in the previous weeks, right? From all the gospel accounts combined, we've understood that every uh, every party of the Jewish leadership is here. They're, they're involved here. They all came to ensure that Jesus would go to his death. And so Pilate here is gathering all of them together, as well as the Jewish civilians, to make his announcement. Look at verse 13 again. Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people. That means every... Every character that's involved here, every party of the Jewish religious leadership that's there, that's trying to ensure Christ's death, he's calling them all together. Verse 13, look at it again, and the people. So there's a following of people. There's people following, and they kind of want to see what happens. They're they're vacillating between what they believe about Christ. Some want to follow him, some don't. Some want him dead. Some liked him about an hour ago and now hate him. And so they're all there together. Pilate's gathered all the Jewish people there together, and he's about to make his announcements. How do you think this is about to go, right? (laughs) They're about to be upset. So this is an official announcement. That's why we've titled this, again, like I said, the final verdict, because it's exactly what's happening here. Pilate's about to make the call on the final verdict. Verse 14. And he said, and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. And so he's calling everybody together. This is going to be the announcement of the final verdict. And so what is the final verdict? Pilate Pilate does two things really here in this verse. He said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. So the first thing that Pilate does is he repeats the charges for which Jesus is being accused of. Gathers everyone together. Time to make the final verdict. First thing he's doing is repeating the charges that the Jewish leaders brought Jesus there for, right? Namely, that he was misleading what? Misleading the people. Okay. Verse 5. Go back to it in Luke chapter 23, right? He says, but they were urgent, saying he stirs up the what? People teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, even to this place. They, their um, charge against Christ on their, own, on their own terms of blasphemy, that's not going to stand in a civil trial. Pilate doesn't care about, uh, about an accusation of blasphemy. So what they did was they brought Jesus to the, to, to the Gentile leaders and told them a, a charge that they know would stick, which is that he's leading an insurrection against Rome. And so this is exactly what they're saying. He, he's leading people to, uh, to turn against Rome, right? To not even pay their taxes, which we know is a blatant lie because Jesus made the exa- said the exact opposite. So Pilate here is repeating the charge. He's saying, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people, telling the Jewish people, don't follow the Roman authority. Let's, let's stand up against this Roman authority and uh, let's lead an insurrection. This is exactly what they charged him with. We saw that in verse five. Pilate repeats these charges. But then the second thing he does is he announces that he's examined these charges and their presence and he has found no basis for their charges. That's exactly what he's saying. Verse five, uh, verse 14. 
You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. There's, a, there's the, the reciting of the charges. And after examining him before you, you've watched this whole thing take place. I mean, they're right there. They're at the steps. They go follow him to Herod. They come on back. They're not letting anything happen outside of their sight. They're going to make sure, ensure that Christ goes to his death. And so they've been following, you know, right, right behind everything chirping away, making sure that they understand that, that they're not, they're not going to allow anything but death for Christ. He says, uh, after examining him before you, verse 14, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. So how many of the charges was Jesus guilty of? None. Luke's making a point here. He's had a good look at this, Pilate has. The Jews have been present at every point within this. They've observed Pilate's interactions with Jesus. They've observed Jesus's compliance. They've observed Jesus's silence. Pilate has found him not guilty of any of the charges. And then um, verse 15, though, tells us this, that Pilate was not alone. Let's look at verse 15. He's not even alone. Neither did who? Herod, for he sent him back to us. Pilate's verdict is not alone here. Herod also, who, by the way, was unimpressed with Jesus, also found that Jesus had done nothing deserving of death. And so there's nothing deserving of death, which is the sentence that the Jews wanted. The Jews want him to die. There's nothing that he's guilty of, period, let alone anything that would Punish, uh, that, that would be worthy of punishment of death. And so listen now, you, this is, this is the, the sentence that they wanted, and yet Pilate is declaring that there is uh, no basis for this. Now this is huge, because these two Gentile leaders have no reason to have any affinity for Jesus. They don't care about Jesus. There's no reason for them to support Jesus. And Luke is making this clear. The scriptures are making this clear. This is unbiased. If anything, this is biased the other direction. Right? These are two secular authorities serving as two witnesses, acquitting Jesus of any capital crime. And we know the scriptures have said, and we've seen this all throughout Luke, that any truth must be established by what? Two or three witnesses. And so, and so Luke is establishing this by two Gentile witnesses, two Gentile authorities, that Christ is innocent. So the Jewish trials... They declared Christ guilty, though it was obvious he was innocent. The civil trials, they're starting to declare him as innocent, though the leadership won't allow any other verdict but guilty. And so Jesus can't win here. Jesus can't win. Now, you know, I, I think that's pretty common among people who reject Christ. There's really nothing that he could do to win in their lives, right? I mean, if, if he says one thing, they're going to want the other. If he says the other, he'll, they'll just want the other, right? This is what Jesus says. If you don't believe the words of the prophets, you won't even believe if someone rose from the dead. There's, for those who are committed to their sin and committed to reject Christ in their own selves, Jesus, there's nothing that Jesus could prove, say, or do for those people to believe and follow him. They're just committed to themselves. They've already made up their minds. Now, of course, God can do anything in the heart of an unbeliever, but we see here that there's nothing 
about Christ that satisfies them. You remember when we were in Luke's gospel and there was that, uh, and Jesus says, here's what you're like. You're like a bunch of children sitting out in the square. And you're saying, you're playing some music and you're saying, you, you know, you didn't dance for me. You didn't sing for me, right? And what Jesus is essentially saying there is, is I, 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 there's nothing I could do to, to, to be right in their eyes, right? I'm just not what they want, what they expect. They want me to be like this. They, want, they expected the Messiah to be like this. And so uh, these, these, these uh, Jewish people here, there's nothing that um, satisfying about Christ to them. And they, they're gonna figure out a way to declare him guilty no matter what. And so by now, it's becoming crystal clear, isn't it? I mean, it's just becoming crystal clear to the reader that Luke has made this clear to the reader that Jesus is innocent. This is the innocent Christ. And he will die as a guilty criminal. And uh, from God's perspective, it's exactly what needs to happen for sinners to be saved. The innocent sacrifice dying as one who is guilty. And so this is pretty obvious. Verse 15, though, he says, you brought me this man. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, verse 15, neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. And, um, and, and so that's, that says a lot. Here, here, here's what he's saying. If, if Herod found anything wrong with him, Jesus wouldn't be back here. Herod would have just taken care of it himself. And so verse 15, then he says, look, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Nothing deserving of death has been done by him. After all of this, there's no warrant for the sentencing that you are desiring. Verse 16, here's what Pilate's gonna do therefore. I will therefore, what? Punish and release him. Because no guilt on the, on the grounds of him being innocent, I'm not going to sentence him to death, but instead I'm going to punish and then I'm going to release him. Now this doesn't make much sense either, does it? I mean, if he's innocent of all charges, why even punish him? Uh, you know, there's, here's where we can see Pilate's really instability. I mean, this man is, is just, I mean, he's nothing to admire. I'll tell you that. He's someone who is who is vacillating between the people's desires, between his own good, between protection of self and, and the understanding of what's right and justice and, and injustice. I mean, he's just, go, he's just back and forth between all this. It just doesn't even make any sense, right? He, he wants to keep his position. He's afraid of the people. He, he knows what's right, but he doesn't want the Jews to be upset because he wants to keep his position. And so he'll just do something to uh, appease them. So Pilate determines here to scourge Jesus. That's the word and then set him free. And so it seems strange that he would punish him and then release him if he's innocent and should be let go, right? But this is what he's gonna do. Roman law would, would allow this type of beating as a type of magisterial warning as to make sure that the accused person would even take greater care in the future to not even be associated with situations that could bring this accusation. So maybe he's saying, I'm gonna beat him so that Jesus doesn't even come close to declaring these things about himself anymore and stays away from this trouble and so I don't have to ever see him again or to deter any kind of future thought. Or second, Pilate was hoping, uh, hoping to appease the Jews, to satisfy them with, with this act here, right? Um, and uh, he's saying, essentially, don't worry, don't worry, I'm going to let him go, but don't worry, I'm going to do this to him. Uh, 
And uh, maybe the crowd would say, okay, I guess that's good enough. And, uh, and um, you know, we'll be satisfied with that. But uh, they're not going to be satisfied. This is, that's not good enough. They want Jesus eliminated, completely eliminated. And uh, Matthew 27, 26 calls this a scourging. And, um, and, uh, and a scourging was to correct the accused, to correct the accused. And that's what Pilate's doing, but, but there's no correction needed. Mark 15, 15, um, we understand that, that he was wishing to satisfy the crowd. Just turn there with me for a minute. Mark 15, 15, just to show it to you. Mark 15, 15. It says, so Pilate, wishing to what? Say it aloud. Satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus. He delivered him over to be crucified. Okay, you can turn back. Scourging would occur. Here's what scourging would entail. It would, incur, it would occur on, on the platform. So all people would be able to see this. And, uh, and this is where the trial would be held. And everyone would see. And then the victim would be stripped. The victim would be stretched out against a pillar, his hands tied, stretched out against the pillar, or he'd be bent over against the low post so that he would have no means of defending himself. His hands would be tied, he'd be stretched out or he'd be bent over, and he would have no, no uh, ability to protect himself at all, not even to flinch and to, and to protect his sensitive areas, maybe his ribs or his back. And they would use what is called the cat of nine tails, and they would have bits of iron and bits of bone attached to the ends of these things. And, and so, and there would be nine strips kind of coming out here, and those blows would intentionally cut the skin. They would intentionally draw blood. And the, very frequently, the victim would die. Very frequently. And so, you're thinking this, uh, of the severity of this. Keep in mind, Pilate's trying to appease the Jews. Think about how heartless Pilate is here. And so we know the severity of this because we know in the very next section uh, of Luke's gospel, Luke 23, and if we move on to the, on a verse 26 next week, we, we understand the severity of these beatings and this scourging because Jesus is unable to even carry his own what? Cross. And so th- this is, this is, this is a, uh, a serious scourging for one who is innocent. And um, all of this, Luke, is just solidifying in the reader, in you, in your minds and hearts, the innocence of Christ, and that this was done unjustly at the hands of evil men who deny and reject Christ. A, uh, A doctrine of the innocence of Christ and a doctrine of biblical anthropology, the depravity of man. And so you'll notice then, back to Luke, that verse 16 we jump from 16 to 18. And this is pretty simple. It's just because some manuscripts have these words at this point. And uh, you can find, like I said, the footnote down at the bottom. It says that he was obliged to release one man to them at the festival. And other, other manuscripts omit this. And so early manuscripts, you find some that include on, uh, some that would omit. And uh, of course, doesn't change the meaning. And it's also very... Um, um, obvious that these that that verse verse seventeen is is found in the other gospel accounts, and so it leads some scholars to believe that it was added sometime later. Um, although some believe that it was in there 
originally, but basically what it does is it transitions us from 16 to 18 or else 18 kind of comes out of nowhere. But they all cried out together, away with this man, release to us Barabbas. We, we haven't even, what does that mean, right? We haven't even heard anything about uh, Barabbas or anything yet. So, so verse 17 kind of gives us a transition there. Now he was obliged to release a man to them at the festival. And, uh, and so Matthew 27, 15 says it this way. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner that they wanted. Or for Mark 15, 6, it says, now at the f- feast, Pilate used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. So at the Passover time, when Pilate was, was in Jerusalem, all the Jews were gathered, other governors were there. Pilate would make a pattern, a custom, uh, a, a tradition of releasing one prisoner for the Jews and uh, to, to really kind of appease them so that they would follow him without causing any trouble. The Jews were always kind of stirring up trouble in terms of following the Romans. And so Pilate here thinks he's got maybe another out. Uh, I'm going to offer a release of a prisoner, and surely they'll choose um, to release Jesus. But that's not how it goes here. So verse 17, like I said, whether it's added or later on uh, from one of the other gospels or whether it's in as an original, it makes sense of verse 18 for us. But what's being described in verse 17 is called the Passover privilege, where a prisoner that's popular for the Jews would be released and uh, kind of placate the, the, them. And, and, and so John 18, 39 says that you have this custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. And so Pilate's initial decision of innocence is made. Jesus is innocent. He's going to scourge Jesus, and then he's going to release him. And Pilate's also seeking kind of an out here that maybe he can do so by releasing him according to this Passover privilege. And so this is just clear. Listen, as we see this, this should be the end of it. This should be the end. This should be the end of all of this. But just as we see here and that we're aware of that Christ will go to death, even though he is innocent and, um, and he will be killed even though he's done nothing wrong. And so this is the initial verdict. This is the initial verdict. Now let's see what the reaction is, shall we? Verse number two here, what we see is the Jews' incessant voice. Verses 18 through 23. Verses 18 through 23, they say this. But they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection, started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. And a third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving of death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified and their voices prevailed. I mean, we see this declaration of innocence and at the end he's going to die. And there's one thing in between, only one, which is the voices of the Jews. Right? And so we know what the influence here. At this point, Pilate... We, we are told that Pilate's wife comes out around this time too and says, hey, listen, don't, don't do anything with this man. He's innocent. I had a dream about him, right? She's heard about him. She's a little afraid here. And Pilate becomes a little bit afraid and he wants to release this man. You always wonder, why is Pilate you know, 
trying to convince them to be released. Well, there's a lot going on here. He's trying to uphold justice. He can get in trouble later. He's got a little bit of fear in him. Um, He doesn't really like the Jews either, right? I mean, there's a bunch going on here, but don't mistake the fact that, you know, Pilate's not here repenting or believing either. And so this is, Pilate's guilty. Pilate's guilty, but the Jews, we see the severity of their guilt here, okay? And so Pilate's verdict should stand, should stand. But verse 18, it says, but they all cried out, what? Together. They all cried out together. And, um, and they say this, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. And Barabbas was a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. And so we, we see that this is, this is a desire to, um, to get rid of Christ. Now, Pilate, uh, uh, Peter, the apostle Peter interprets this event for us. Turn with me to Acts chapter three. Turn with me to Acts chapter three. Verses 13 through, through 15a. Acts chapter three, it says this, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to do what? Release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one. Was Jesus guilty? No, he was holy and what? Righteous. You denied the holy and righteous one and you asked for what? A murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the what? The author of life. Now turn back, back to Luke 23. So Barabbas, who ironically his name means son of a father. Ironically, they choose him over the one who was truly the son of the father. The very things that they didn't believe about Christ that he was the son of God, the very thing that they accused him for as blasphemy. This was the one who was truly the son of God. And they released to him this man who is Barabbas. Now Pilate's sin here, his fear gets him into trouble because he fails to do the right thing. He has a fear of man and it gets him into a worse situation because now what's going to happen is he's going to be able to, he's going to be forced to release a murderer and Jesus is going to be killed. And I mean, this is, this is true of all of us. Listen, your, your fear, if you, if you fail to do what's right, it'll just get you into more trouble. Even if it's fear, if you hesitate to say what's true or to do what's right, because you're just afraid Right? Even the, let's just give Pilate the benefit of the doubt here and say his fear drove all of this. He still failed to do what's right and it got him into worse trouble. And so Pilate fails here and he's gonna, I mean, he's gonna, he's gonna release a murderer and Jesus is gonna die. Nothing's gonna work out for him here because he didn't stand for what's right. Verse 20, let's look at it. It says, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus so Pilate's trying to, again, he, he's doing this cowardly, trying to do what's right in a cowardly way while appeasing the crowd. 
and yet he's full of unbelief and self-interest. And so verse 21 then, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. That's what they wanted. And they were going to ensure that that's exactly what happened. And so the first time, this is the first time that they shout this explicitly by, by name. In Matthew's account, in Matthew's account, right? It's, it's, it says it at this point as well, crucify him. It says Pilate was surprised by the fact that uh, they wanted to release Barabbas instead of Jesus. And he asks, what shall I do? So in all the accounts, this, this uh, crucify him claim comes at this point of, uh, of the opportunity to either release Barabbas or Christ. And, and so he says, what do you want me to do with Jesus then? And they all shout, crucify him, crucify him. And so and so this is, what they're, this is what they're desiring. Verse 22, he says here a third time that Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving of death. Therefore, I will punish and release him. Now, you have to understand, this is the third time in this section here, but this is really the fourth time. Okay, I mean, verse four, just look down at your text. Look at chapter 23, look at verse four. Okay, this is the first time Jesus was the pilot. And, and it says this in Luke 23, verse four. Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, what? I find no guilt in this man. You guys got to work on kind of speaking in unison here, okay? First uh, Corinthians says we should all speak the same things, okay? So verse four here, Pilate said to him, I find no guilt in this man. That's the first time. Look at verse 14. And he said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people after examining him before you. Behold, what? I did not find any guilt in this man, right? That's the second time. Verse 20. It says, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release him. And so what do you think he addressed at that point? He said, he's not guilty, Right? And now this last time, verse 22, so this is really the fourth time if you include his first meeting. A third time here in, in this second meeting, he said, why would he believe he's, as he, has he done? I have found in him what? No, no guilt. And so he offers the same as before. Let me punish and then let me release this man. Verse 23, look at it. But they were urgent demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified and their voices prevailed. But the verse starts, verse 23, instead of, instead of what? Instead of accepting Pilate's plan, they cry out and what are they? They are urgent. It's better translated as insistent. And, um, and the Greek word here, um, it's used in Acts 27 describing the raging storm that hit one of Paul's ships. And so here's what the picture is. There is a raging storm of voices at this point who do not want Pilate's innocent verdict of Christ to stand. There's just raging voices like a storm, like a storm. This is a Jewish mob, like a violent storm demanding from Pilate that Jesus would be crucified. And at the end of verse 23, their voices what? Their voices prevailed. He's innocent. 
He's gonna suffer the punishment of one who is guilty. It's gonna come at the hands of sinful men who have sinful hearts because Christ is not what they want him to be. Matthew 27 says at this point, Pilate washed his hands. He claimed that he was innocent of Christ's blood, Matthew 27, 24. And he uses, Pilate does here, a Jewish custom. That custom's from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses one through nine. Deuteronomy 21, one through nine. And, it's, uh, and it was used to, to, to claim innocence of the situation. And so Pilate here uses a Jewish custom to accentuate his point, his claim of innocence before the Jews. And you know what? You know how evil this is? So Pilate here, like I said, he washes his hands. He uses this Jewish custom found in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 21. And he says, okay, well, I found him innocent. I'm guilty. I'm innocent of his blood then. And um, this is evil and chilling. Matthew 27, 25 says then that all the people then shouted, his blood be on us then and our children. They were so fixed on killing Christ because he wasn't what they wanted him to be. We have to eliminate this man from our lives. He's a threat to our sin. This is the depravity of man. They were so urgent, insistent. Even though they knew that this was all a a lie, they would swear and they would even say, let this be on us and even on our children then. You wash your hands of it, Pilate, we'll take the responsibility. You know, that's what sin does, huh? It blinds you. You can be so committed to your sin now that you're willing to confidently forsake your future You're you're willing to forsake your soul. You're willing to forsake the futures of those you care about just to have your sin. That's the depravity of man. You'd be willing to stand up and say, I swear to God, this, that, and whatever. You don't care. You, You don't care the consequences of any of it as long as you have your sin in that moment. That's... That's mankind's problem. We're committed to sin and we'll forsake our future. We'll forsake our eternal souls. We'll even forsake our futures and the future of those we care about. Because we want our sin in that moment. And that's what they're doing here. Just to have their sin, they're gonna eliminate Jesus as a threat because he's not what they expect He's declared their, their deeds are evil. You know why they hate Jesus as well? You know what he said? This generation, they hate me. You want to know why? Because I've declared to them that their deeds are evil. What Jesus, you know, in order to get saved, you got to know that you're lost. You got to know what you're, that you're a sinner, guilty before God. And Jesus was making that clear to them, their sinful condition, and they hated it. Which is why, why people will hate you if you evangelize. Because you have to declare to people that their deeds are evil. You have to, else I have no need to be saved. And you gotta make known people's sinful condition so that you can help them to understand Christ's substitutionary atonement that comes, the, the substitutionary atonement that comes through Christ is death. And so they hated Jesus because he declared to them that their deeds were evil. 
people will hate you because you make that clear to them. And so he was a threat. And, um, and, and even in Acts chapter five, you know, they even say, they basically even say that uh, it was, the Jews insist that it wasn't their fault, but they know they're guilty. And so what we see here is um, this verdict, but then we see the voices and now we see this adjusted verdict. Number three here, Pilate's influenced verdict. Pilate's influenced verdict. Let's read this and, and, and then we'll be done here. Verse 24, so Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. I mean, that's crazy. He's innocent. Pilate knows it. They're just loud enough and incessant enough and like a, just a storm of sin. And then he says, okay, I'll give you what you want. We'll, we'll kill this man. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to his will. And so Mark and Matthew tell us that before handing him over, that that's when Pilate actually had him scourged. And so Pilate's not that innocent. Pilate, knowing that he's innocent, knowing that Jesus is innocent, knowing that he was gonna, at this point, hand him over to the Jews, still then went and had Jesus scourged, right? Still then went and had Jesus scourged. He hands him over to them, to the Jews, and he hands over to them Barabbas. That's the prisoner they're gonna release, and then Jesus, is the innocent one's gonna die. The Jews got their way. And... Um, and deliver Jesus over to their will. What was their will? To kill him. Now, if you flip over to John's, I wanna end with this. Look over, flip over to John's gospel because at this point, right, right here, right? Really, really at this point, um, you know, before he's, before he's actually released, okay? Before he's released and now this narrative is over. This is where John's gospel picks up in John chapter 19, verse one, okay? So we can kind of read the in-between point. And I'm just gonna read for us um, here up to 16, verse 16, because at the second half of 16, that's when they take Jesus. And that's where we pick up in Luke in our next section, okay? So this is, this is actually what happens before Pilate releases him. There's a couple more times here where Pilate tries to convince them. So Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Okay, this is right before the release. So we understand that this is right, this is happening right before the release. Verse two, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on Jesus's head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, hail, king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and said to them, see, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him for I find no guilt in him. So at this point, I mean, this is what's happening at the point when Pilate's already decided he's gonna hand him over to the Jews to, to kill him, right? So there's a little bit, Luke condenses, there's a little bit more here. Verse seven, the Jews answered him, 
We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. So now they're bringing back up the blasphemy charge. So he's saying, okay, Pilate, you didn't find any civil charge, a case of an insurrection, but we found a charge of blasphemy, and he should die because of how he's committed an offense against us. Verse 8, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. This is, Pilate's already going to release him at this point. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So he's talking about the Jews there, but at the same time, uh, Jesus is, is very much so saying, this is the plan. And uh, you've been given temporary authority. Remember, it's the hour and the power of what? You remember? Darkness. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judgment seat, which was called the stone pavement, an Aramaic uh, Gabbatha. And now it was a day of preparation of the Passover. It's six hour. There we are, six o'clock in the morning. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answers, we have no king but Caesar. They're just manipulative. So he delivered him over that, to them to be what? Crucified. And this is how Luke concludes the details of Jesus' trials. This is an innocent man dying at the hands of sinners. He didn't die as one who was guilty, but he died as one who was innocent. And Luke is making sure to solidify that in your mind. This is, he's done this six times now. You should have no question that Christ died as an innocent lamb. And that's exactly what he needed to be. And he died in the place of sinners. And you should see the depravity of man, what men, the length that men will go to to reject Christ because he's not exactly what they want. And so we should take heed to this message. We are thankful for a Christ who suffered in our place, who made atonement for us, who suffered as one who was guilty even though he didn't do anything wrong. We should proclaim this message to sinners and we should beware and understand the, the, uh, the length that sinners will go to to reject Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and this, this is a sobering text. It's a somber text. It really doesn't allow us to be too, um, too joyful in this moment, seeing all the evil take place here seeing all the depravity at hand, seeing our innocent Savior who we love open not his mouth because he was on a mission. He knew this before it ever came. He told the disciples long ago that he had to suffer at the hands of men and be crucified and on the third day raised. He knew this before the beginning of time. This was your sovereign plan. This is what your hand pre predestined to take place so that sinners would be saved. Now we see here, Lord, this is the depravity of man, the rejection of Christ, and the extent that men will go to. 
I pray if there's anyone in this room today who's done everything that they can to reject you, everything that they can to stay away from you, you're a threat to their lives. I pray that you would soften them, that you would break them, that you'd call them to repentance and faith, that you'd let them know that they can find forgiveness in the cross no matter how far they've run, no matter how many times they've rejected you. They can find salvation because of this very work that you completed, Christ. I pray if there's anyone in here who is, who is just strongly opposing you, Christ, that you would melt their heart, that you would break them, that you would cause them even to crumble on their knees and cry out to you for salvation and be saved. I pray, Lord, that um, we would have a firm foundation of the doctrine of you, Christ. Just our Christology would be strong and we would put another strong, uh, firm foundation, uh, piece of our foundation in it today. We would be sold. We would have, uh, it would have been solidified in our minds and our hearts that our Christ is the innocent lamb who suffered in our place. Though not deserving of anything worthy of death, you died sinner's death as one who was guilty in order to pay for our penalty. And we are so thankful for your work, Christ. I know that this picture forces us to look upon those who have done this work to you, but God, let it also just soften our heart to our Savior, that we would look on him, that we would love him, that we would follow him, that everything we do would be in connection to Christ, be motivated by Christ, before Christ, before the purpose of Christ's name. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word that instructs us and teaches us in all the areas in which we may not even know or understand. In Christ's name, amen.